probably every person to a degree for how long, how much, how often is up to the individual. But we look for happiness where it's not. What we do, what we have, what we own, material possessions, status. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Mike Flynn. And if you're just joining us, I interview entrepreneurs and leaders who are using their platform to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And each guest is part of a series such as Leadership, The Champion's Mindset, or in this case, happiness. Far too often, we allow happiness to take on a form of a mythical creature that constantly eludes our grasp. Here one minute and gone the next. And many in society have taught us to believe that we cannot choose to be happy because happiness is something that can only be earned. In other words, we often think of happiness in this way. I will be happy when I accomplish X, Y, or Z. I will be happy when I lose 15 pounds. I will be happy when my business is successful. But in reality, happiness is within our grasp in the here and now. And every day, we have the power and free will to choose to be happy no matter our life circumstance. In fact, Viktor Frankl says, no matter our life circumstance, the last human freedom no one can take from us is the ability to choose our attitude. That comes from his book, Man's Search for Meaning, which he wrote after being freed from a Nazi concentration camp where his wife, unborn child, mother, and father were killed. So yes, no matter our life circumstance, we have the free will to choose to be happy. Now my hope is that the guests coming up, the guests you will hear from these next few weeks, will breathe life into your ability to choose to be happy today, tomorrow, and every day. Doing so will give you and I an advantage in business, relationships, and life in general. I need to hear this just as much as the next person. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. J.P. Sears is back for round two. If you haven't checked out last week's interview with J.P., you should go back and listen to it. It's a fun conversation, and he shares some wonderful stories And today, we really dig into what happiness is, why people tend to look for happiness in the wrong places, and how to cultivate your own greatness. So bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. And we have a special message from a special guest. This is Mick Flynn, Brace for Impact. Well, JP, I am... Really excited to welcome you back to round two of our conversation on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. So welcome. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm excited to be back. You know, after round one, you know, I sat in the corner and got stitched up and my trainer, uh, <laughs> you know, gave me some water. So I'm a little bloodied and bruised from round one, but I'm I'm answering the bell for round two with you. Amen. Well, you know, deep and meaningful conversations are highly overrated, but I hope we can do our best to have one today. <laughs> what would be even better than having a deep and meaningful conversation might be convincing people that we're having a deep and meaningful conversation. In fact, I think we already started that because I think it's very profound that you announced we're having a deep and meaningful conversation. So it's like absolutely, you know, game set match right there. People should be aware by now. 
And I would imagine maybe they are now because <laughs> you just told them that they should be aware. <laughs> uh, you're ridiculous, my uh, friend. I try. I try. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're going to, we're going to, we, we covered a lot in the first part of our conversation and we're going to cover a lot more in the second part of our amazing conversation. And we're going to start, start with the why question, which is, you know, your videos have been viewed millions of times and you're speaking now in front of huge crowds having a big impact, but why are you an entrepreneur? What was the impact moment that launched you on this trajectory and, and created this kind of sort of alter ego uh, that we know as JP Sears, the parody videos, but you're also have very serious videos also. Yeah. You know, the, the impact moment, this particular one, I can't put a, a date on and and I don't even know that I would call it a, a moment in the acute sense. I think it was a little bit more of a wider spectrum on the horizontal dimension called time. But the what was important for me in order to kind of like propel me into entrepreneurship is I started freaking believing in myself. It's like I like this weird thing, not in a arrogant way, though I have plenty of arrogance. It's just like a different subject for, but like in a more of like a, I don't know, falling into this beautiful state of realizing there's a gift inside of me and in believing in the gift. It's like this, I think there's a gift inside of us that's beyond ourselves. And I know that sounds sort of ultra spiritual itself. <laughs> yeah, that's a belief I have. So learning like kind of starting to flirt with uh, there's some kind of gift that wants to live through me really started to help me believe in myself, which is sort of like believing what's inside myself, even though that might be beyond myself. So it became like a situation where it's like, this is a garden inside of me and and nobody else can care for this garden as well as I can. Nobody can put their hands in the soil and fertilize it, which I guess that means they're pooping in it in this analogy. So their (laughs) poop won't land in my inner garden, thankfully, (laughs) even though that's a thing like, uh, it's like a colonic transplants for like a way of, I've heard that. Yeah, man, (laughs) it sounds like something I want to keep hearing about rather than doing. (laughs) And that, so realizing like, wow, I am the the best gardener, the only gardener who can cultivate what wants to grow here. And I think thus it is the nature of entrepreneurship where those of us in, you know, in entrepreneurship, just to be redundant and show my lack of vocabulary, we realize like, wow, we're in the business of being our own farmers, mm-hmm. you know, factory farming, uh, which is kind of like working, you know, being an employee in a huge company, you know, that's tending someone else's garden. But we have some kind of drive inside of us. I realized I have a drive inside of me, a gift that only I can cultivate. And it's quite a call to adventure, sort of the initiation of my hero's journey to respect that mm-hmm. and become committed to it. So, you know, that that moment of really believing in myself, uh, I think that moment took 13 years. Wow. 
It was like a long blink of an eye. Yeah. Uh, from the time I was 20 to 33. And I still have strides to go to believe more in myself. Yet I, I definitely have a, a pretty, as it stands today in the past couple of years, a pretty firm grasp of belief in myself. And with that self-belief, I, uh, I've been able to, you know, do things that are pioneering in my life, create comedy videos, comedy books, you know, comedy stage performances, as well as like authenticity uh, offerings as well. That wouldn't have happened if I didn't believe in myself. I mean, I've spent a lot of time not believing in myself over the years, but it's weird how like nobody else knows specifically what wants to grow inside of us. So nobody else can believe in us as much as we need because they don't know what there is exactly inside of us that's hidden that needs belief in. And I think belief is like the water and the fertilizer that allows it to grow and then find expression in our lives and businesses. Now, other people believing in us, that's a great support. It yeah. really is. Yet that doesn't land directly in our internal garden. It's like it's like other people's beliefs is support for us to believe in ourselves. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of my great mentors, a guy named Paul Check, this is definitely a, a pivotal impact moment for me. This would have been in the summer, July 2001. I took my first in-person class with Paul Check. Seeing the way this guy believed in me was instrumental. Like this, like there I am, I'm 20 years old, by far the youngest person in the the class, by far the most inexperienced person in the class. But he saw how committed I was. Like I could answer questions other people couldn't answer because I was so committed to studying the the work that he was teaching at the time. So by the end of it, it was like a nine day long course. He said, JP, one day you'll be out teaching with me at my institute in San Diego. And it's like at the time, like, whoa, uh, (laughs) I believe that you believe that, but I don't believe that. But seeing how he believed in me was very supportive for me to learn how to believe in me. That was a beautiful impact, actually, that he had on me. We talked er earlier about greatness and how we're all born with potential and greatness and it it resides in us. And you had that seed that was in you and you had that moment, that breakthrough moment for yourself with your previous mentor where, you know, you got a little bit cracked and and the light went in and you had a tremendous amount of healing and nourishment. And you even used a word right just a moment ago, cultivate, which is, which is amazing. So I believe that there are millions of people who believe in themselves, but they don't know how to cultivate that belief. Mm. What would be some ways that you would share with them on how they could go about cultivating that belief and that potential? Do things you've never done before. I think we need to put ourselves in situations where we are required to give ourselves more support and more belief than what we've been able to do. Now, we won't do that unless we have a damn good reason to do that. 
It's just like the, the big wave surfer gets on the big wave because it helps him or her, probably mostly hims. I think men are the only ones dumb enough to ride a 30-foot wave. That big wave is a high-pressured enough environment that it gives the surfer a very good reason to become ultra-present gets into a flow state, a state that he may not know how to get into without being on the big wave. So we need to create big waves for ourselves. That is, ride a wave we've never ridden before. Do something we've never done. We are incredibly resourceful beings, and we can't mine our deeper, brilliant resources. We can't go deeper into our resourcefulness than what we've been before unless we put ourselves in a situation where more resourcefulness is required. Mm-hmm. And perceptually at a conscious level, that feels like risk. So we need to go into risky situations. I'm not talking about go down a dark alley in a, you know, a, a dangerous neighborhood in the middle of the night, not that kind of risk, but risk in the sense of putting ourselves out there, ta- taking a step towards growth in our business, in our personal life. Uh, looking at where we're playing it safe. Honestly, looking in the ways, looking at the ways we're playing it safe and seeing how some of our ways of playing it safe are trapping us Mm -hmm. and then figuring out how can I take a risk here? Mm. Is it investing more money? Is it putting my freaking heart on the line with a, a new woman in a relationship? And that's something I'm doing right now. There's a beautiful, beautiful woman in my life. We've been, I mean, it's pretty new, maybe six weeks or so. And normally I would play it safe. I'd be, I would already be posturing to protect against what if this fails and you know, just all the what ifs, all the, the potential for rejection. And I look at all my past relationships and 100% of them have failed. Hmm. It's like, oh, I've never made it work. <laughs> because they're, they're past. So that's pretty. <laughs> that kind of sends a powerful message. Now, and I totally get like, yes, each one of them has given me lessons so we could play the game. Like, oh, they haven't failed because you've learned. Yeah, I get that. That's true. And they've also failed because they've ended <laughs> uh, based on how I define a, you know, an intimate relationship. Yeah. So I wanted to take a risk with this relationship because I wanted to I want to achieve something in a relationship that I've never achieved before. I want to achieve an extraordinary long-lasting deep connection with untold amounts of mutual respect. Mm-hmm. So if I want to experience something in a relationship that I've never experienced before, we would probably realize, JP, you'd be crazy if you then just did what you've always done before. So I realized I've been playing it safe in relationship. I've had a little cocoon around my heart, you know, playing it safe, trying to control how the woman might be thinking of me. But now I'm just jumping off the cliff, taking risks left and right. Yeah. Uh, you know, laying my heart on the line, not being shy about letting her know how I feel about her and really not being shy about receiving how she feels about me. You know, all the things that, you know, I would have done in past relationships to hold back. Like, okay, I want to say this. I want to ask her to do this. I want to plan a trip and, and you know, Two, two months out. But in the past, I would have been, oh, this is too early to do that. Yeah, yeah. So I look at all those two earlies and then it's like, I'm going to do those now. Yeah. One, because my heart's called to. And two, I'm not into playing it safe. I'm into taking a risk 
so I can achieve essentially results and experiences and a depth of love and connection that I've never achieved before. And at this point, Mike, I've forgotten the question, but you got me all excited yeah. and feeling love with beautiful Amber. Mm. Wow. Plain to say, I'm even saying her name. <laughs> JP will come across as this infatuated, delusional <laughs> dork. Like, awesome. Think of me that way. My heart it. doesn't feel that. My heart feels... Getting all excited, brother. Yeah, well, the question, the question <laughs> you answered the question because the question was about how, how people can cultivate that their, their greatness inside of them and their potential and their belief. You know, Because people have this belief inside of them and they need to nurture it. And the only way you can nurture something is by cultivating it. But you bring up like an amazing point that people have, people have bought into a lie that there is a time schedule. Yeah. And that if you're talking about a relationship or an entrepreneurial journey that, well, um, I can't be successful in the first year. I have to wait until the fifth or sixth year until I could be successful because there are all these things that I got to do first before I could be successful or in a relationship. Yeah. I mean, certainly there's some things that you don't want to do in the, in the first, uh, you know, first date or first couple dates. But like, I remember when I was dating my wife, uh, and I still date her, by the way. Uh, oh, that's very nice. Does, does your girlfriend know about your wife? I mean, that might be awkward. You know, you never stop. You never stop courting your spouse. You know, I love it, man. That is a relationship insight right there. Yeah, love I mean, it. You know, it's it's something that we've learned uh, along the way, and we've known each other since we were nine. By the way, you know, I remember when we were dating, wow. and I would send, I would like contemplate sending her a message, but I'd be like, no, I can't say that. It's too early to say that, you know, according yeah. to who, according to what we have come to believe. And you know what? So my parents have been married for 30 years and they've, they didn't know each other for a very long period of time. And the same thing with my closest friends, parents, you know, and before they actually got married, it was a matter of, you know, uh, weeks, if not a few months before they actually got married and they have these rich, deep marriages. doesn't mean they haven't had struggles along the way, sure. but we can't believe as entrepreneurs or in, in relationships with anybody that there is a prescribed, you know, protocol, a period of time, a time schedule that, that we should follow because there is no horizontal time schedule for relationships. And I love that. Uh, and as I think everybody listening already knows, but I'll say it anyway, like we're also in a relationship with our business. Yeah. We're in a relationship with a potential intimate partner. So I agree. And I think following the quote unquote protocols that are not nothing but self-imposed, mm -hmm. like nobody can impose them on us. Even if we try, I think we have to accept them as our own before they can be imposed on us. So it's all a inside job. So I think following protocols just means we're playing it safe. And I think it's absolutely okay to play it safe in some areas of our life, like where we don't want to grow. Like I play it safe with taxes. Like mm -hmm. I don't want to get creative and like take risks there. It's like, okay, dear accountant, like do your boring job and tell me something that'll irritate me. I'll write a big check and we'll be done with it. <laughs> I, I'm okay playing it safe in some areas, but there's other areas where we're just called to adventure. Like we want to take our business to the next level, relationship to the next level. We want to take our fitness to the next level or our, our, you know, our sports. And yeah, you know, Tony Robbins has a beautiful freaking quote. 
Uh, I don't know if he heard it from someone. It doesn't even matter. But his quote is, if you want to take the island, burn your freaking boats. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So to me, that puts us in a position where we are required to tap into untapped resourcefulness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, I don't think we're as powerful as we think we are. I think we're more powerful than we can think. And how do we get to that power? create a need for it, create mm -hmm. a reason for it to come out. Mm -hmm. So if you want to take the island, like you show up to the island, look at the boats. Thank you for getting me here. <laughs> now I'm going to burn you. Yeah. Now I am in a high pressure situation where I've got to just juice the resourcefulness from yeah. inside of me to figure this thing out. Just like the big wave, got to find new surfing skills in the moment, not following the protocol of time. Like, let me become a you know, increase my surfing abilities, you know, take five years to increase them by 3%. Like, uh, let me figure out how to do that in 0.3 seconds because this wave towering over me is requiring it. And I think when it comes to the matters of the heart, it works in a quantum way, not a linear way. That's why I love how you, you def you're willing to defy the time protocols of a relationship. And I'm so grateful. I'm willing to do that now. And when it comes to business, it can grow quantumly. Mm -hmm. it, it really can. And I think a lot of times, like, we'll, we'll see that when someone's business is taking off exponentially, it's like, well, you know, the, the first, I think for me, like the first, I might've shared this in segment one, like it took me like maybe like two years to get my first like 1500 followers on mm -hmm. Facebook. And then just became quantum off that. It just like, you know, the idea of following time protocols was something apparently just yeah. not, I didn't buy into it. And we're in a totally different world today. You know, and incidentally, uh, we're about, we're recording this where I am about uh, 20 miles from one of the, most world-renowned surfing spots in, in in the world, hence it's world-renowned, uh, <laughs> called called Mavericks. Oh wow! Yeah, and uh, and they they do those surfers do need to be very present as they are surfing these mountains, uh, these you know forty, fifty, sometimes sixty foot waves yeah. uh, that are just bearing down on them. And if, you know, several episodes ago, like in the thirties. One of my guests was a, a what they call a titan of Maverick, a guy named Tyler Fox, who's who surfs those waves, and you know we talked about what it's like to approach those waves and and be sitting in the water as he described these rolling mountains coming to coming coming to you. You know, it's it's a really really powerful illustration. But you know, when you took to YouTube, okay, uh, this question comes in from from a couple of fans of you and our show and close friends of mine, Doctor. Nick Hyde and and his wife Claire they they run Inside oh, Out right Inside Out Health and Santa Cruz but I talked about them earlier about the video they did on poop um, yeah but uh, she how could I forget that <laughs> poop is my favorite subject uh, they asked this question I thought it was really good which is when you took to YouTube what were you hoping to accomplish with the comedy side and has it it, it has it evolved in the way you envisioned. I love the question. With the comedy addition to YouTube, I had zero expectations around it. Hmm. Well, actually, I'll reframe that. I was out to amuse myself. 
mission accomplished. (laughs) And outside of that, I didn't have any other expectations or plans for it. No envision of how it was going to evolve. And, you know, I just planned on doing one comedy video. And then part the first step of the evolution was like, let's do another and then another. It's been beautiful to be surprised with everything that comes up and and also beautiful to be open to the surprises, opportunities, and experiences that it's opened up for me. And it, I, I truly feel like the blind man stumbling along, finding my way because I'm, you know, following my heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, creativity, I think, is a aspect of our heart. Uh, so I'm following my heart rather than just trying to follow my vision of premeditation. Mm-hmm. So that's how it's been for me. And, and I think the lack of expectations around what my comedy videos are supposed to be accomplishing is part of what allows me to uh, make comedy videos and make them uh, up to my capacity. I, I think it's kind of like if um, if a, a five-year-old child sits down with... You know, his his or her got to be freaking gender inclusive. Uh, <laughs> 2017, his or her, it's you know, crayons, and you say, okay, make me a good picture. Like, okay, there's an expectation on the child now. If the child buys into the expectation, then they're going to be trying to meet the approval of that expectation, which means simultaneously, part of that child will have at least a low grade fear of what will happen if I don't meet the expectation. And having a a fear-based mindset when we're trying to be creative impairs creativity. It really strangulates the prefrontal cortex and keeps our brain's capacity much more in the reptilian centers. But being free of expectations allows us to more fully energize our prefrontal cortex, the creative centers of our brain, which then I think if we're open-hearted, we can connect to our heart, our inspiration, and have a more brilliant form of creativity. So I have been... um, pleased that I've stumbled into a relationship with my creativity where uh, I didn't have expectations of it in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Now that it's grown and it has momentum, like honestly, now I do have some expectations of it. And now it is a way that I make money. Like in the beginning, if you were to say, okay, JP, uh, do comedy in a way that's going to make you money. It's like, man, that <laughs> feels like a burden, bro. Stop it. <laughs> but but now that it's had, it, it's like, you know, planting an apple tree. It's like, okay, get food off of that right now. Mm. It's like, well, it's, it's I, I, like pulling at it now will hurt its ability to make fruit in the future. But now that my tree of comedy has grown for a, uh, a uh, couple years now, and it's got good life in it. Uh, having the expectation of eating fruit from it uh, to me is balanced mm-hmm. b- because it's in a in its phase of life that it bears fruit, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's got good sustainability mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. I, I love that. You know, and I love what you said a, a moment ago also, which about being open to surprise. You know, because, mm. you know, that's a really important way to live life, you know, to to be adaptable, to be open to surprise, to allow yourself to be surprised. Because su- 
spontaneity and surprise are are gifts if you allow them to be yeah in in life the thing about your videos though is like they're funny because there's so much truth in them you know like we everybody who watches those videos every 100 million people that have viewed these videos the reason they watch them is because they identify with them they identify with mm. how ridiculous we've made ourselves become it, when it, it when it comes to trying to be the right kind of an entrepreneur and you know what what is an entrepreneur and what should he or she look like and car they should drive and you know I, i'll jump ahead to a question because it 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 uh, it ties into what what i've been pondering a lot about is artificial intelligence you know mm. because you've got you know e- elon musk talking about artificial intelligence in a in a technology way but but i was thinking about that concept and it dawned on me that there's this pervasive type of artificial intelligence that exists today and how we relate to each other and in particular how entrepreneurs relate to each other and to themselves and like for instance you take a video of yourself in a big house and you rent a Ferrari and you post pictures of yourself next to it all over social media. And then of course you decide to be gluten-free cause that's the latest trend. And, and it just like it spirals out of control and we need people like you to bring us like immediately back down to the reality that none of that stuff matters. But in your opinion, how did we allow this kind of thing to this spiral to even begin? Yeah, I think looking for happiness where it's not is a huge thing. It artificiality, superficiality, whether it's here's my Ferraris that I own that I don't really own, or maybe I do own them, but I, I'm telling you this video is all about happiness, not about the money, but I'm just standing in front of piles of money and hundred thousand or quarter million dollar sports cars. So I'm really talking about money, even though I'm telling you I'm talking about happiness. Yeah, to me, there's so much artificiality and we, as in like probably every person to a degree for how long, how much, how often is up to the individual, but we look for happiness where it's not what we do, what we have, what we own, material possessions, status. And I think it becomes a downward spiral until we break it. The downward spiral is, okay, the more we look for happiness where it's not, the unhappier we get which then makes us look even harder and deeper for happiness where it's not. Cause that's where that's the familiar place we look. That's all that we know. So, okay. It's not there. I'm more unhappy. I look more, I look deeper. I'm more committed. I need more money. I need more status. And then, you know, there's a, maybe a breaking point uh, called rock bottom, whether that's uh, a divorce, losing a business, or business is amazing, but uh, now we're incredibly depressed, anxious, suicidal. So that is a, a really call. Uh, it's a really therapeutic place of hitting rock bottom. Rock bottom to me is a great gift that feels like a curse that says uh, doing what you've been doing isn't going to get you where you actually need and want to go. So uh, I think the the inward call isn't towards anything artificial or uh, artificial intelligence, it's authenticity, uh, authentic intelligence. Mm. And to me, that's that's really facilitated when we realize our happiness comes from what we are, not what we do and not what we have. Mm-hmm. So 
we've got to this place looking for happiness where it's not. How do we get out of this place? I think looking for happiness where it is, which is, you know, like the blind gopher would tell us. I was like, it's always been inside of you. Mm -hmm. It's been so obvious you haven't seen it. That's why we need the blind gopher to tell us. Happiness is found in what I am, not what I have, not what I do. And and the thing to me, like about artificial intelligence, and I know that term can mean a thousand different things to a thousand different people. The thing that scares me about it is the word artificial. Authenticity is exciting to me. Artificial anything isn't. You know, there's some, you know, and I'm I'm gonna pick on an area where probably most of the people listening can relate to is like probably you guys all do it, uh, which is, you know, something down to like an email autoresponder that's set up to mimic like you actually sending the email. And it's like, that's artificial. Yeah. It's like, well, okay, what if the other person on the other end then sends up an autoresponder to respond to your autoresponder. So there's this like artificial contrived communication that's happening that doesn't mean crap. Yeah. It's not anything authentic or anything connected to actual people. It's just the going through the motions of this art artificial responding. So I realize autoresponders, email communication, and those weird email campaigns, like, yeah, cool. They have their time and place, but I use it just as an analogy of how dramatically empty it can be if we lose ourselves to artificiality. Letting artificial intelligence, I mean, autoresponder is a very simple form of it, letting that be something that serves us rather than like kind of like us getting into a position of serving it. I think is probably the balance. I think, could it consume us? Like, yeah, I think it already consumes some yeah, people. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, I, I think that like auto, going on the autoresponder example, like that kind of technology exists and it's supposed to be there to give us space, right? To do other things. But too often that 99% of the time, we just fill that free space with more busy right? and less relating. You know, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the issue. If if you actually if you had an autoresponder and it, and the autoresponder was was, hey, I'm at, you know, at Starbucks, come hang out with me. That would be one thing, you know. <laughs> absolutely. But for sh- Yeah. So we automate our lives so that we don't actually have to live our life. That's pretty interesting. It, it really is. It really is. You know, you know, in seg- in the first segment, you talked about one of your favorite movies briefly, which was Forrest Gump. So I assume you like you like movies, correct? I do like movies. Uh, yeah, I love movies. I love movies, especially great movies. And the thing I love about great epic movies is that, like your videos, they they strike a chord with us. They they pe- they pierce the veil. You know, they they make us emotional, both happy, sad, angry, uh, inspired, and yet. We spend two and a half hours in the movie theater, twenty dollars or more on some, you know, soda and popcorn, and then we leave and we do nothing with that inspiration or emotion that we felt. What can we do to whether it's a movie or watching a, one of your YouTube videos or going and listening to a inspirational speaker? How can we take that energy that is is transferred to us in in that in the form of creativity and act on it 
Yeah, that's a great question. One of the things that comes to my mind, and just to warn you, Mike, I'm going to turn the question back on you in a second if <laughs> okay. I can. I think step number one is make the the transpersonal personal. So the the lesson, like the archetypal lessons in the movie appear to not be about us. So our job is to make it about us. Our job is to ask, what about me am I learning from watching Star Wars? What about me am I learning from watching Forrest Gump or whatever the movie is? And I think the more shallow movies are simply less archetypal, less reflective, less to learn about ourselves from. But we all know some of the, and there's so many of them, but some of the great classic movies are a classic because a lot of people see themselves in them. So they flock to them, but how to really get the benefit is, okay, what's, what, what is this movie showing me about me that I don't completely understand and comprehend yet? Mm -hmm. Asking the question is the first step to comprehending it more. So we've made it personal. Uh, And then I think based on, that you know, step number two or a potential step number two could be okay. Based on what this says about me, what this is teaching me about me, what do, what actions do I need to take? Is this showing me how I'm dysfunctional? Is it showing me my potential? Uh, if it's showing me a dysfunction of me, like it's showing me how I am in a way that doesn't serve me, what action can I take to let that go? Uh, what action can I take to not play it small anymore? And I think that's a question only we can answer. And if it's showing us our powerful potential, what action can I take to help unleash that? Mm. But with that said, I'd be curious as all heck, Mike, what about your answer to that? Taking the wisdom of a movie and taking action on it in your own life. It's it's funny because uh, I've I recently had a very personal experience with this. My wife and I went to go see La La Land, and uh, you know it's about you know the, there's there's three characters in that movie, three main characters. There's Emma Stone's character, there's Ryan Gosling's character, and then there's a a character that's not like a uh, a person it's it's a it's the dream it's the dream mm. that they're both pursuing and yet the dream that they're both pursuing gets interrupted by this amazing the amazing things that can happen if they said yes to each other in a in a relationship have you seen the movie i have not it's no. a phenomenal movie jp you got to go see it okay and so it you know it's a it's a musical and it's kind of it's very classic and and not a lot of people know but but I actually have an acting background. I did some musical theater in high school and college. What if you're, what if you're just acting right now and you're <laughs> acting like you have a bad? Yeah, I know, I'll right? stop. Uh, but I was, I was pursuing that. I was, I was getting ready to pursue, you know, getting an agent and doing all of these things. And I had a lot of people that were in the industry that were affirming me, affirming my skills, and then on the other side, I had other people who had their, who were well-intended uh, and had major influence in my life that, that discouraged me from doing that out of, out of their own fear. And their own, their own fear became my fear. You know? And so I, I didn't. I stopped. I stopped pursuing it. Uh, and this movie just really struck me and my wife and I went out to have a glass of wine after and we were talking about it because she could tell I was emotional because she knows my whole 
story, obviously, hopefully. Uh, and uh, <laughs> pay attention a little bit. And you know, it it was a it was an emotional thing, but we it, it was a great conversation after it because, like you said, it's what you do with the answer that shows itself to you, right? Like, yes, I I gave in potentially to some pressure. I, maybe I would have starved. Who knows? But I I changed my my path, right? And so now it's what I do with my path and that potential because it's still there. And it's one of the reasons why I do this podcast. There's still great things, even though I made a, di- a different decision, there's still great things that can come from it, right? So greatness isn't suddenly gone. It's not like over here in this alternate universe that, that could have existed. It's still out in front of me. It's what I make of it, right? You know, th- there's all these potential things. Like if, if I had said yes to the pursuit of, of an acting career, maybe my wife and I would not be married. And so I said no to a good thing so I could reserve the capacity to say yes to a great thing. Yeah. And, and so I don't know where that's all leading, but I know that it's leading somewhere and I'm cultivating it and I'm thinking about it and I'm letting it marinate and there will be things that will come from it. I'm not planning on, you know, picking up and, and trying to start acting again, but there are things that I've learned along the way in the last 20 years that that I can marry that my, my love of acting and film and, and all that stuff with my experience as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, and as a leader. And I can take all of those things and I can marry them together and make something even greater. If I do it, the only, the only, if I take that risk, that next best step to do it. If I don't, if I just have this great thought, then it's just a great thought. Mm, I love that. Taking this step. I love that. And, and I, I also really enjoy hearing how you don't victimize yourself. It's hard. It's hard sometimes, though. Sometimes I sometimes I sometimes in, in all honesty, sometimes this is a this is a constant conversation I have with my wife. You know, the what if I had done this thing, you know, and sometimes I do victimize myself, but she's, you know. Knocks yeah. me out of it, thank, thankfully, you know. <laughs> little therapeutic spousal yeah. <laughs> abuse. But it, to me, is still the beautiful part about what you just said there is sometimes you victimize yourself, which is a hell of a lot less than all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to me, there's, you know, there's catabolic, anabolic cycles. Or it might be catabolic to be victimizing yourself some of the time, but also there's a lot of room for that anabolic phase of, okay, this greatness that wasn't, uh, part of me was delusional enough to believe it was supposed to go to acting evidence that it wasn't supposed to is you haven't done it mm-hmm. not yet could be in the future uh so uh, to direct that greatness in an anabolic direction if you will uh is something that sounds like you're you're willing to do but in a place of just pure victimization 24 7 all of that greatness wants to be contained yeah. because the the worst enemy of a victim is power. Mm-hmm. Don't don't you dare empower me, human heart of mine, because I get the illusion of power being here in the polarity of powerlessness. So my true power, my true greatness inside, I need to hide it and pretend like it's mm-hmm. not there. Because if it was here, if I allowed it, I couldn't be a victim anymore. Yeah, no, I'm I'm all about being a victor. And not being a, a victim. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Victor or victim. And you know, I you know, I mean, I I think about Victor Frankel, who wrote the book Man's Search for Meaning, 
and you know he was his whole family was murdered, and then he was stuck in a uh, in a concentration camp for two years, and then he wrote that book nine months later, Man's Search for Meaning, in which he said the one last human freedom, no matter what my life circumstance, the one last human freedom that no one can take from me is the ability for me to choose my attitude, and that is a, that is a that is a victorious belief, you know. Yeah. And and I and I I choose to be victorious and to believe that wholeheartedly. And I and I try to teach my kids and others around me that same thing. And I, in fact, I had a conversation with my nine-year-old daughter last night who's having a hard time at school. She's letting some kids get to her. And I said, listen, and she wants to switch schools. And I said, listen, we can switch schools, but there's going to be people in this world that are going to, at the new school, they're going to bug you. And then when you're an adult, they're going to bug you there. And oh, but only if you let them. Yeah, and it, it's easier said than it is done. But she, I told her the Victor Frankel story, and it really resonated with you, uh, with her, and with you too, of course. It, and that's true. <laughs> and I agree, it resonated with your daughter too. But yeah, and that, that's a beautiful, beautiful story with your daughter. And and I think the nine-year-old aspect of that story, your daughter, that what that reminds me of is, you know, my my parts inside that are still that innocent mindset that, you know, aren't fully integrated into the resourcefulness of being able to choose my attitude with personal empowerment in any given situation. Some parts of me are probably well-developed with mm-hmm. that, but the beautiful teacher called your daughter, I think really helps teach us like, wow, and we have parts of us like that too. And it's a struggle for her because she's learning that for the first time, which teaches us, yeah, it's okay for it to be a struggle for us too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're coming up on the uh, the end of the the road here for our conversation, and I hope we, you and I, can continue it offline. But I have a few uh, closing questions for you. One of which is, if oh, what were you going to say? You were going to say something. Oh, uh, you said closing or clothing? Uh, cl- closing. <laughs> oh, cool. I, awesome. I was going to say clothing. Uh, oh, yeah, cl- I'm not clothing too questions. fashionable. <laughs> uh, if someone were to write a, a biography about you, what would be the most surprising thing le- readers would learn? Wow. That's a good question. I think it would be that my biography was written by the man who would later go on to kill me. I think that would be a very interesting, surprising twist to the biography. That would be very interesting. If there's one thing that you want people to remember from our conversations that we had, what would it be? Bet on your authenticity and risk discovering it. Mm, I love it. I love it. Well, JP Sears, this is the last question. It's a big one. Okay. How will you measure your life? Definitely with a metric system. I think the American way of doing it is just too limiting. It doesn't let us be connected to the world. <laughs> you know, uh, of course, in a in a very non-quantifiable unit of measurement, and I would say that's with connection. To me, ca- connection is the currency that carries the most value. And because it carries the most value, it can't be measured. They haven't invented ways to measure it because it's it's too valuable. So connection, uh, to me, there's rings of connection, but the the connection I have with the world at large, my audience, if you will, the community around me, and then down to the micro, 
one single human being. So for me, that me, you know, right, me and Amber, that connection, mm-hmm. and then my family, those connections are, I think, a, a great measure of the quality of my life. That, that is a very powerful answer, and, and, and I love it. I totally agree with you. I feel connected with you, even though we're, we've just got screen time here, you know, and, and I look forward to staying connected with you. You know, we will, of course, link to everybody knows where to find you. But in case they don't, we will link to all things J.P. Sears in, in the show notes and as we cool. promote the show Thank on social you. media. But is there any place else that we should point people? Uh, to their own hearts, I think, is a great destination. Uh, it's, I think it really is. You are your own gift. Uh, you really are. And uh, always aiming to walk in the direction of your heart, which means you're not walking away from yourself. You're walking towards yourself with your thoughts, words, and actions, I think is something I need a constant reminder of. So I'll invite you to point your audience in that direction too. Amen. Well, you know, JP, at the start of this conversation, we said that deep and meaningful conversations are overrated, but we would do our best. And I, I think we were successful at having a deep and meaningful conversation today. Well, that's definitely true from my experience, brother. <laughs> and I appreciate you for inviting me to the table of the conversation. Absolutely. Well, thank you for impacting our audience today. Oh, you're very welcome. JP Sears, thank you so much for joining us the past couple of weeks during our happiness series. The gift of laughter and the insight that you provided are both going to be treasured, I know, for myself and for all of those who listened. And I loved one of the things you said in particular about cultivating greatness. And you said, but happiness is found in not what you are, not what you do or what you have, but rather if you cultivate your greatness you will likely find happiness growing too. So folks, if you missed any of the key points or highlights of our conversation with JP, you can head over to theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash 55 for all of the key points. And while you are there, be sure to visit the Lawton Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them. And please email me, reach out to me, subscribe to this show, share it with others, and let me know what you do to choose your happiness. Have a great day, people.